Okay, good morning. Well, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Hebrews. You're going to find it in the New Testament. And it's going to be toward the right, toward the end, not quite the end, but near the end. And we're going to look at the rest of chapter 3 today. We looked at the first six verses uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, now we're going to look at verse 7. If you'll probably see it up on the screen on the PowerPoint, if they move it, there you go, verse 7 through 19, uh, what leaps out at me, and what I'm going to use as a title is, is what's said at the very beginning there, verses 7 and 8, where it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's going to be kind of the title for it, but I want to ask you guys to stand, and I'm going to read from 7 all the way to 19, which will be the end of that chapter. And then we're going to dig around a little bit and see uh, what's going on here. Don't forget that the author here of Hebrews is convincing, trying to at least, trying to uh, get the, the Hebrew converts. So these are Jews that converted to Christianity who are having second thoughts because they were going through a lot of persecution. And they were considering going back to the old... Religion, if you would, although um, there was a better and new one in, in, this, in what we call the, the covenant that we have with Christ. So uh, they're struggling. Um, they're wanting to return. So what the author is going to do, he's going to bring up their history. He goes, hey, remember when this happened back in this time? Uh, don't do that. It's not going to be a good move on your part. So that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do, is to convince us also, as Christians, that our best life is today in Christ, and our hope in the future is also with Him. There's nothing in our past better than what we have in the present. Okay, so here we go. Those are the verses. If you have a Bible, or not, if not, you can just listen to what I have to say. I'm going to read it from verse 7. It says, Therefore... As the Holy Spirit says, Today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked. By the way, when you hear the word provoked, he's saying I was angered with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter, in, uh, enter, uh, enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin that we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who had sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? 
So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So let's just pray real quick for this part that we're going to look at today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're going to uh, allow us to understand this morning. As we dig through your word, we pray, Lord, that we'll see the points, that we'll see these principles, Lord, uh, these ideas that you want to bring to our minds so that we can continue to walk straight forward, never looking behind at the past, but looking forward, Lord, and thanking you for what we have today. We just ask, Lord, for your help with the Holy Spirit, Lord, to see these things and then to be able to put them into our hearts, to guard them, Lord, as they are the words of life that you give to us through your word. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, have a seat. It seems like a lot there. So in the Old Testament, there's the children of Israel who come out of Egypt in a great act of God that rescued them from, uh, from that nation that had them as slaves. So Egypt, it's always a picture of the world. It's always a picture of uh, a house of bondage, if you would. It's always a picture of where we're in chains. And then, of course, Moses comes along, as God called him, and he becomes their deliverer. He's the one that rescues them. And they come out in great victory because the Lord was with them. And they defeated, or they were able to come out of Egypt and pretty much defeated, if you will, the greatest nation that existed at that time. And all these people that we're talking about, they lived through that. But oh man, how short are our memories. How many of us forget the great things that God has done in our lives? And that's what's happening here. So Hebrews, that you see up here on the screen, Hebrews 3, 7 through 11, is a quote from Psalms 95, 7 through 11. So what the Hebrew author is doing, he's looking back in the Psalms, and he's quoting that. But then Psalms 95 it alludes to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. So something happened back in Numbers, an event, uh, where the children of Israel rebelled against God, where they complained and they rebelled against God. So before they rebelled, this is what happened. And you can go, and if you have a pen, write down uh, Numbers 13 and 14. You can read the whole story. I'm not going to do it now. It's going to take too long. But I, I'm going to condense it. And it's also what Psalms 95 is referring to, which is what we're reading here. So notice how the Bible connects. I guess Hebrews, that's a reference out of Psalms that is alluded to in Numbers. See, there, the Bible is all connected. Some people say, oh, I don't understand the Bible. Well, just hang on. I'm going to show you. I'm going to teach you, right? So what did the Lord tell them to do? He said, hey, I want you to send out 12 men. So go find 12 men, uh, one from each tribe. There's a bunch of names there. I don't want to go through it. You'll see it in, in uh, Numbers 13. And I want you guys to explore the land of Canaan. I want you to, to go out for 40 days. Uh, they, in reality, were uh, called to spy out the land. So they were going to go ahead of Israel to look to see what 
was there to see it, the land that God was going to give them as an inheritance. Whether there was good or bad, whether there was uh, riches or whether there was poverty, trees, fruits, rivers, uh, cities, what the strongholds were. So he was sending these 12 spies to go check out the land. I think that's really an interesting thing. Can you imagine that God would um, give us the opportunity to go to a place in the future that was going to be ours and then come back and give a report? It would be like if I, we were able to send someone into the future and tell, come back to us today and tell us each of us what's waiting for us. That's kind of cool. In other words, you get to see your inheritance before you inherit it. Anybody want to know what, what's in store? Yeah, that's what God was doing. Hey, go check out the land I'm going to give to you. So they did. And then they returned after 40 days from the land of promise, as that's what it's referred to. And they came back saying, and you'll find this like in verse 17 of Numbers 13, just some verses I'm going to give you so if you want to go back and look. They came back and they were like, this is a fabulous land. As a matter of fact, they said it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And uh, it was so, the harvest was so amazing that a cluster of grapes was so large that they had to be carried on a pole by two men. Can you imagine having a cluster of grapes so large till you hung it on a pole and there I was in front and someone else behind us and we're bringing it back to show everybody how blessed this land was? That's what Verse 28 says of chapter uh, 13 of Hebrews. It's a, it's a great place. It's a fabulous place. It's a wonderful place. I mean, it's like, it's flowing with milk and honey. Which is a lot better than water and, and bread, is what they were eating at the time in the wilderness. How many of us would rather have milk and honey than water and bread? It's just better. There's something better over there where I'm taking you that I'm going to give to you is what the Lord's saying. Those are the kinds of promises that we need to hold on to. But in this case, they actually get to go out ahead and look and see it for themselves that God is faithful. However, and this is where the big B-U-T comes into place, the but, there were others of the 12, 10 of them, so two of them were positive in their report, Caleb and Joshua. The other 10 spies, they were negative Nellies. They were focused on something else. What did they see? They, they saw a huge problem. These cities were fortified. And the people were giants. And to the point to where they said in verse 28 of Numbers 13, that we look like grasshoppers. It's one of the famous sayings out of that chapter. Other one was the milk and honey. The other one was the cluster of grapes. 
These are things that people remember from that story as these spies went in to look at the, the fabulous land that the Lord was going to give. And so two of them came back saying, it's wonderful, it's great, and although that is true, the other ten spies said, man, there's a huge problem. We're, we're not strong enough to take the land. The people would say, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, we're done. Let's not go in. Let's not go into the promised land. So, Joshua and Caleb tried to argue their point as they were speaking to the congregation, these 12 spies, with a report. They bring back a report. And they said, no, no, let's go in and occupy it. We, we can overcome the, these nations. It's not going to be a problem. Why would they say that? Because they had already overcome Egypt. They had already come through the Red Sea when they thought they were trapped and their backs were up against this obstacle called the Red Sea. God opened the Red Sea and they went across to the other side and in the very sea and the very, and they sung about it today, the very sea that opened up into a highway for, to rescue Israel became the cemetery for the Pharaoh's armies because it collapsed on them as they chased them. They had kind of changed their mind about letting Israel leave. But God took care of them. So Caleb and Joshua, young men by the way, all these spies were young men, they're saying, hey, it's not a problem. The Lord's going to give it to us. Don't fear. Let's not rebel against God. He's with us. There's a big difference between the two perspectives, don't you think? There's one group of people with fear and doubt, and a very short memory about what God has done, and another group of two people that are positive, and they're saying, hey, God's going to take care of us. So that bad report that the ten spies brought went spreading throughout the congregation, and then the whole nation, if you will, standing before them, begin to grumble and complain, and they rebelled against God's wishes. They said, no, we're not going in. And God wanted them to go in. He wanted to give them this land. And they said, no. So that's why it's called a rebellion. When you go against the will of the Lord, you're a rebel. Right? You're a rebel with a cause. No. It's saying to God, no. We're afraid. And not only did that happen, they also wanted to stone Moses. Let's get rid of this leader that's trying to take us into this place that, where we're going to be crushed like grasshoppers. So that wasn't what made God very happy. That's why the Lord talks about this place being the wilderness of provocation. They provoked God to anger. And so Caleb and Moses, Joshua and Aaron, they all fell on their face before God. They ripped and tore their clothing and they begged God not to destroy these people, the, their, this nation that rebelled against them. Because here's the problem. They simply, here's, this is really the message. I'm kind of getting into it early. They simply couldn't believe that God would give them the land. They wouldn't believe. 
They had the fatal problem of unbelief. They had the devastating sin of unbelief. They didn't believe God. And see, that's a big problem. Because in reality, the only thing that kept them, that is the children of Israel from the promised land, was lack of faith. And faith is what drives the whole Christian experience. Because the Bible teaches us in Romans that the just, those that are righteous before God, those that are right before God, will live by what? By faith. In what God has said. We act upon God's word. We trust him. We believe him. We put into action our beliefs and we go into the place that he's giving to them. He's going to hand it to them. What? Because they wouldn't believe God's word and what he was going to give them. He then said, okay, you're not going in. He told those people that wouldn't believe, you're not going to go in. And with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, the rest of the people and everyone 20 years or older would not go into the promised land and they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years until the last person over 20 died. Then Joshua takes them into the promised land. That generation that had an unbelieving heart, that generation that had a hard heart, would not go in and be able to enjoy the rest that they would find there and the blessings that they would find there. So it was a death march for 40 years. God said, nope. And you know, weird is that he'll give us what we want if we resist, if we resist, if we say no, if we say no, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do it my way. No, thank you. See you, wouldn't want to be you. We know what's better. And then somewhere in there, a hard heart that resists God, somewhere, who knows when it happens. But when it does, it's like God says, I brush the dust off my feet, have it your way. And guess what? When God changes his mind, you can't change his mind back. Because he's patient with us. He's long-suffering with us. And he will eventually, when we have a heart that's hardened, the problem with a hard heart, here's how it works. When you say no once, it's not as soft as it used to be. And when you say it again... And again, and again, and again, it hardens to the place or to the point where you can't hear his voice anymore. That's how it works. It's my job to explain it. It's like if you were to take a pin and just keep poking the same part of your body Obviously, the first thing that happened would be sore and open, wound. 
And you just kept poking slowly every day, every day, or every week, I don't know, the scab, you peel it off and poke again. What's going to happen is that area is going to get a callus. It's going to harden. So then when something actually touches that part of your body, you don't feel it anymore. And if we do that with our hearts, we don't hear him anymore. That's a devastating place to be. Because now you are on your own. And so, the harsh reality is, good luck with that. Because you'll need more than luck. See, what you've done and what they've done is they rejected God's will. And they said no. So he had originally intended for them to go into this promised land when they first came out of Egypt. They were going to go in quickly. And they were going to go into this place filled with abundant life. And they were going to live by faith, trusting God. And he would give them rest from their enemies. Rest from their, the slavery they had had. Rest from their suffering and, the, and rest from the affliction that they were suffering. They would rest. That's what would happen. But that's not what happened. They said no. So this is then where we get to this passage. That's the history of this incident. So what is the message of Hebrews 3? We're going to kind of look at a couple things and then we'll kind of wrap it up in a minute. So what the writer of Hebrews does is he uses a story of the Old Testament as a backdrop, like an example and he's saying, don't let those experiences that we can read about and see the result, don't let that be your life. Yeah, sometimes it is better to learn from books than from life itself. It's better to read that the use, or if you're playing with drugs, and you get a little bit too much fentanyl in your system, you could die. It's better to read about it than to actually experience it. Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. It's better to learn these lessons, prepare ahead of time for whatever's coming in the future, and have some knowledge than go through it ignorantly and have this, the, hard, the school of hard knocks beat you up to where you then learn. I don't know about you guys. I'd rather just kind of learn from someone else's bad experience. Wouldn't you? I don't know. So, here's how, and this is what the author is trying to do with this book. He's trying to show us how Jesus is superior to Moses. If that happened to the people who followed Moses, because he was their leader, what would happen to us who follow someone superior and say no? That's the point. You know, you can say no to me. I'm just little old Pastor Robert. But behind me, there's a bigger one. Because this is his word. You're really saying no to him. 
Now that's, that's what's happening in this story, and that's what he's warning us. So there, verse 7, let's look at it real quick. So what's therefore mean? So having the lesson, having seen what happened to these people, the Holy Spirit says, today if you'll hear his voice. So who's speaking to us? The Holy Spirit. Not just Pastor Robert. In this case, the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. And he says, today, which speaks to us of the urgency of this message from the Holy Spirit, today, if you hear his voice, which he's telling us to get right with God, not tomorrow, or not even asking us to, or whether we trusted yesterday. What the Holy Spirit is asking us to do is act today. See, it's always when it comes to listening to God's word and dealing with God, it's always about the now. Right now. It's about the moment. Oh yeah, we have promises and we have assurances for the future. We also have a way to look back in the past and say, oh wow, I messed up. And he's not asking them to look back at their mess ups. He's not asking them to look ahead. He's asking them, right now, will you hear my voice? So the urgency is for now. And what is he asking them to do? To not harden their hearts. Like in the rebellion that we just read about in Numbers, or I explained to you in Numbers 13, the day of testing is now. This is what he's referring to. So a lot of times we might ask ourselves, well, how do hearts get hardened? Well, because a lot of times what we want to do is blame things on circumstances and on others. The fact of the matter is, our hearts get hardened in the way we respond to circumstances and others. Circumstances can never make you do something. Neither can people. People that may have abused you, people may have used you or mistreated you, you can never blame and say you're a victim to circumstances or to anyone else because you have a choice on how to respond. And if you choose to respond in a way in which is more detrimental to your life, you, in other words, you make decisions that actually make your life worse, that's on you. So Christianity is always about making a decision. And the decision is always, and it's so simple. No matter what happens to you, no matter what they did to you, will you trust God? That's it. And you can say yes, or you can say no. It's your freedom. He gave us that amazing gift of free choice. We can choose how to respond to our circumstances and to others through faith in God. Oh, that's it. I really don't even need to preach anymore. I'm going to, but... <laughs> that's it. Oh, well, that's just too simple. It's not. You put your trust and you put your faith in all kinds of things every day that let you down, that don't work for you. Whether they be systems or ideologies or philosophies or even things or people. They, they let you down all the time. You put your trust in stuff all the time. 
The minute you get in your car, depending on how new it is, you don't even think twice when you push the button whether or not it'll start. As long as you got your foot on the brake, it will. But who knows if the battery works? But you don't think, I wonder if I'm going to hit this button and my car's going to start, unless you've already had problems with it. You don't think twice about whether or not when you're going through an intersection that when you push your foot on the brake, it's not going to stop. You think it's going to stop, and you actually make the motion. When you turn the steering wheel, you're trusting the steering wheel is going to move the, the tires in that direction, and there you go. What do you mean you don't have faith, or you don't have to practice trust? You do it all day, every day, with everything. You put your money in a bank that could be hacked. It could be gone tomorrow. They can call you and say, sorry, man. You know, we are insured, though. You just have to wait a few days. Everything and all that we do in this life require trust and faith. And what God is saying is, if you're going to put your trust in the post office because you mailed something to someone... If you're going to put your trust in your car, or if you're going to put your trust in the fact that you think these poles are designed to hold up the weight of the second floor of this building, who knows who came in here looking for the certificate of whether or not these poles are going to be adequate to hold up the second floor. Yeah, here you are sitting in this building, you never thought about it once. You just came in, and then you sat down, and who's to say that the benches that you sat down on are going to hold your weight? You didn't think about it. You just do it. It's faith every day. What God is saying is just like you put your trust in things and in systems or in politics or in government or whatever you put your trust in, what he's saying to us today, I want your trust. That's what he's saying. I want it because I am faithful. So they didn't do that. They saw things their way. Giants in the land. Fortified cities. Oh man, we're done. They're bigger than we are. And God's saying, oh, I'm going to give these cities to you. I'm going to conquer your enemies for you. But how would they ever know? Because they never tried it. So he says, where your fathers put me to the test. Verse 9. Here's the problem. Can you imagine putting God to the test? You're tempting God. You're testing God. It shouldn't be the other way around. And here's why that's a problem. They saw my works for 40 years. They saw what he did in Egypt and how he took them out. They saw what he did. They saw his miracles. They saw his power. Everybody says, oh man, if God would just do a miracle, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. They didn't. Because our hearts are deceitful. You have to guard your heart. That's what he's saying. Harden not your heart. Our job is to keep our hearts away from those things that would harden them. You get it? It's a heart relationship we have with God. We trust Him from the heart. The heart man believes and with the mouth man confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. So they saw God's miracles for 40 years and they, they didn't care how He saved them and delivered them and how they were able to escape Egypt and slavery 
And he simply wanted to take him into a new place. He says in verse 10, Therefore I was provoked, which means angered. Not that anyone here ever gets angered by the behavior of others. God could get angry too. He was provoked. Because he had done nothing but good for them, but their response to him was evil. Was unbelief. The greatest of all sins is unbelief. Why? Because if you can't believe, you can't be saved. He can forgive you of anything. Adultery, lying, stealing. If you simply ask him for forgiveness, he'll forgive you. What you can't be forgiven of is not believing that he can forgive you. And therefore you don't ask for it. So this is really amazing because this is what they did. So he said, I was provoked with that generation and said, oh, they always go astray in their hearts. Their hearts are always lost about the truth of who he is and what he's done. And then this one little verse is very powerful. They have not known my ways. That's our challenge, to learn his ways with us. Have you learned his ways? How it works with him? It always starts with trust. It always starts with faith. It always starts with belief. That's how we connect to God. We can never connect to him because we're good enough. We can never buy a relationship with him. We cannot have enough money or enough smarts or wisdom or intelligence. It's only one way, trusting him. Surrendering our lives to his hands. And that's what they didn't want to do. They, they always go astray in their hearts. My heart goes astray sometimes. I've learned to grab it and bring it back. I can tell when my heart starts going astray. Because I can tell when my life starts going the wrong way. And I'm like, uh-uh, I've been there before. Heart, get back where you need to be. With the Lord. Tell me it's not true for those of you that walk with Christ. You have to get, make sure your heart is taken care of first. That you never lose trust or faith in him. So they always go astray, it says there in verse 10. That people, with a warning for us not to. That's the point. They have not known my ways. Oh man, I pray, God, show me your ways so they can hide there. So I can hide in that refuge of your ways. And I swore in my wrath, in my anger, they're not going to enter into my rest. The rest would have been the promised land that they refused to go into. What is rest equated to? Rest is equated to faith. Faith is rest. The key in entering rest is revealed. Believing God. Then they would have entered into this promised land and they would have rested from their enemies. Oh man, do we need rest today. People are working hard trying to figure out how to make it work. People are struggling trying to figure out how to get out of this hole and then next thing you know you make a bigger hole. There's rest in Christ. He'll do it for you. If we could only learn it's not about what we do, it's always about what He does. What he's willing to do. So in spite of God's miracles, in spite of his grace and, and faithfulness to that people, they still failed to make a commitment to him. By trusting him, they refused to trust him. 
They refused to allow him to do great things in their lives. Right? Unbelief was the problem. And it's a sin. And so a lot of people think that unbelief is weak faith. No, it's not weak faith. Because even weak faith, like faith of a mustard seed, could do great things. It's the faith that's in a... It's, it's, the, it's the belief that is against trusting God. That's a problem. So here we go. We're almost done. So take care. Verse 13, or verse 12. Take care, brothers. Take care of what? Uh, uh, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart. An unbelieving heart is equated here to uh, evil. Leading you to fall away from the living God. So if you want to return back to your old covenant, if you want to return back to the Mosaic traditions and ceremonies and rituals of Judaism, then you are falling away from knowing the true living God. That's what he's saying. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what are we to do? What, I'm, what we're doing right this moment, what I'm doing as a pastor, is I'm exhorting you. I'm encouraging you. I'm keep walking with Jesus. Keep your eyes on Christ. Trust Him. Believe in Him. Find a promise that if it's your life and hold on to it, do not let go, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what people do to you. Exhort each other where? Another every, uh, one another every day. So that's why congregating is important, because we're encouraging each other. And then verse 14 says, For we have come to share in Christ. Oh, we all have one thing that we share in common. What is it? The love of Christ. The forgiveness in Christ. The love of Christ. The forgiveness in Christ. The walk with Christ. We share that. And that's what he's saying to do. Now there's one little word there that you have to consider in verse 14. We have come to share in Christ. If. If means you have a decision. You have to do something. What is it? If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If we hold on to our original trust. Our confidence in, in what or in whom? It's in Christ. If we hold on. We have to hold on. That's our choice. Then he says, uh, verse 15, As it is said and repeats, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? So what he's saying here, who are the people that are now rebelling? Was the people that saw what God did at the beginning? So here's the point. It isn't enough to make a good beginning. You got to have a good start, but it's not enough. Israel had a good beginning. They left Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. It took a lot of faith for them to do that. Yet that first generation perished in the wilderness. Why? Except for two people, Caleb and Joshua. Because they didn't continue in that confidence. So it's one day at a time. One step at a time. Trusting the Lord. Verse 17 goes on to say, and 18 as well as 19 
as we wrap this up, with whom he was provoked, those people that left Egypt with Moses, he was angry at them, was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? They ended up staying in the wilderness. They died there, never entering in. Whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of what? Unbelief. Trust him. That's the message. Trust him. In everything. Before you make a decision, think about it, pray about it, then act. That's what he wants. And hopefully that's what we can give him this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for so direct and so straight a message. Really not hard to understand. Hard to accept, not hard to understand. And our prayer, Lord, is like we put trust in all kinds of things and peoples every day. That we would refocus ourselves to first put our trust in you every day. To believe, Lord, in your love for us and your power to make a difference for us. To believe, Lord, that you're compassionate and we can come to you. We can lay everything down at your feet. But not only do you hear us, you're able to do something about it. You may ask us to wait and be patient because you're doing other things in our lives. But you will never fail us. And you will always do more than what we could ever ask. That's belief. That's who you are. That's your way. So I pray, Lord, for everyone that's here today. They would think about this this week, later today, and conclude and arrive at one simple answer that it's never in vain to trust you. We can trust you with all our hearts. We don't have to lean on our own understanding, as Proverbs 3 says, but we can always acknowledge you and you will direct our paths. You will make a way. You will not fail. And that's our word today, Lord. Thank you for encouraging us in Jesus' name. Amen.